Hello and welcome to Michigan and Other Mayhem, the show about Michigan, murder, mysteries, histories, and other mayhem from around the world. Your hosts are Allie and Jen. Okay, Jen, let's do this thing. Jen, you there? Allie, I'm here. Guess what? What? My favorite snail, my, my oldest snail, my favorite snail, Professor Ping has died. Oh no, that's horrible. Yeah, your brother had to help me bury her in the front yard. <laughs> it's like, not good. Professor Ping died. And I was having problems with bladder snails, but I have my assassin snails keeping them in check. But I didn't want to put in my two tanks, but in the biggest tank, I didn't want to put anybody in there because, you know, Ping was old and stuff, and I didn't want an assassin snail to eat her. And um, the bladder snails were in there just making a mess of things. And then all of a sudden, one day, there was less of them. You want to know what happened? What? So your, your Mike and I, your brother and I have been getting um, like little grass from the store, like little lily pads and grass that grows on the top of the aquarium. The snails eat it. Plus, it makes some shade for the beta so that he can be nice when he's swimming around. He likes it a little shady. And <laughs> one time they scooped up the grass for us. And I said to your brother, um, there's a snail in there. And he was like, oh, shit. I was like, well, screw it. We already have bladder snails. They're like the worst pests in the world. What's, what, what's going to happen? We get more bladder snails. I was like, that's fine. So we dump it in. But the mystery snail was actually a ram's horn. And that good boy has been eating the bladder snail um, eggs. I mean, he is keeping that population in check. He mows over that stuff and eats it up. <laughs> I was like, you are my favorite bro now. I lost Professor yeah. Ping. Me and you were together, bro. <laughs> snails are crazy there i love my snails they are so interesting they, to me i wish they'd stop right. fucking and making babies that'd be great but because <laughs> <laughs> everybody is humping in my aquarium <laughs> even the assassins are making babies that's hilarious yeah, and according to all the things that assassins are slow to make babies and they don't make that many babies lies, lies. <laughs> <laughs> they make babies <laughs> okay a lot of them yes so that's what's going on. What's going on with you? Nothing much. You know, I'm going to do the Pike County Massacre or the Roden Family Massacre. Okay. I'm going to give an update. And officially, this is my life. You I have like one. I have one story yeah. that I already wrote that I'll do. But this is. Like, every time we talk, this is what we're going to be talking about for, like, the next two months. Okay, because they're, they're wrapping it up? Because it's starting. Oh, the trial. Yeah. Ah. And it's one of two, so. From me, you can expect a lot of Discovery Plus. Yeah, see? <laughs> <laughs> what do you have today? I have Billy Cunningham. She was a... a a grandma, a widow, who was murdered in her home. But at first it was um, sent a, set up as an accidental death, and her kids looked into it further, and they were able to get it opened as a murder investigation, and then they found her murderer. No way. All right, yeah. tell me about it. Okay, so it I noticed it first in this one because it's the first Discovery Channel show I went over, but then I'm going to make a point every single time they bring it up after that, okay? No okay. matter where they go in Michigan, no matter where. And I checked out. Michigan's pretty freaking big. We're about 96,716 miles big. 
Okay. We're bigger than Ohio. We're bigger than Florida. We're bigger than Minnesota. No matter where they are in Michigan, they will use Detroit as the reference point. And if you are unaware, Detroit is at the very southeast corner of our state. But no matter right. where they go, hundreds of miles away, they will just use, they'll be like, you know, three hours outside of Detroit. Do you know where the fuck that is? <laughs> <laughs> On the other side of the state, bro. <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah. So I mentioned it in this one, but then I mentioned it in every single one after that. So I do check because they're like, oh, we're going to the village of Hubbardson, Michigan. It's just over 100 miles west of Detroit. I'm like, that's 161 kilometers. That's that's a two hour drive outside of Detroit. They could have just said mid Michigan. It is literally in the middle of Michigan. <laughs> I was like, <laughs> uh, okay. So Hubbardson has a population about 345 people. One of the residents is Billy Cunningham, and she was known for being a, a really cheerful grandmother. She was a widow. She was 80 years old in 2006, and she'd lived alone for about 20 years. She was a fixture in the community, and her neighbors knew her routines. She was known for keeping a neat home and decorating for the holidays. On November 30th, 2006, Billy's neighbor noticed two anomalies. One, there was a light that had remained on all night that she usually kept off. And two, the garage door had been open all night and it would normally remain closed. So the neighbor calls Billy's house phone, but nobody picks up. The neighbor then calls William, Billy's son, who decides to go to his mom's house and check on her. Now, honest to goodness, when I was listening to the son's 911 call, he's very flat, like no emotion. You would, if you didn't know the end of the story, you would think he did it. But yeah, he is like emotionless when he finds his mom. He goes to Billy's house. William finds his mom laying on the floor. She's face down with a pool of blood around her. And William calls the police and he says, well, it looks like she fell from this stool because there's a step stool nearby. And maybe she hit her head because, you know, all the blood. But he says it's so emotionless. And it would later be found that she actually had lacerations on her body. So the police arrive and they find that Billy had passed away. From the scene they found, they decide that, you know, she's getting ready for Christmas. She's decorating. She's in the middle of putting up all these decorations and she suffered this unforeseen accident. There's this new, this, a nearby stool that was tipped over and there's this large wall mirror that had been broken and pieces of the mirror were like surrounding Billy. And the idea is that she fell off the step stool, fell into the mirror and it cut her on the neck. There wasn't any forced entry and there didn't seem to be anything stolen. Case closed. So at autopsy, it's found out that Billy had a head wound and a broken nose. So Billy's son, Rick, because she has multiple children, Billy's son, Rick, went to his mom's house shortly after her body had been removed. And there was blood, like splattered, like speckled on the walls and floor. And one of her Santa statues, which was a really heavy, solid piece, had been broken in half. And some of her chairs had been tipped over. And like normally she kept a really neat home. And he starts to question like if a fall could result in this much stuff being broken and knocked around, right? Like one fall. So yeah, they don't agree with the, the coroner's conclusion. So they're like, no, I don't, I don't think so. This is a lot of blood, a lot of stuff knocked around. They decide to investigate further with a, a private investigator. So they hire um, this private detective to look into Billy's death. And at, six weeks after Billy's death, the family's at, um, having doc, he's a former detective. Michael Morey is looking in it now. Michael noted that the pieces of broken glass were found underneath Billy. And he didn't think that the pieces were capable of creating the lacerations on her neck. He's like, I don't think those pieces could have cut those cuts. And another concerning point was that there was three different walls that had blood spatter on them. And that did not seem consistent with a single fall. So it's then decided to send reports on Billy's death to a forensic pathologist. He agrees that 
um, Billy's death could be a homicide, but he needs more data. So it's at this juncture they decide to exhume Billy for another inspection. Two months later, it's done. The first detail that came out is that no glass was found in any of Billy's wounds. So her neck wounds were found also to be symmetrical, which probably wouldn't have happened with shattering glass, right? They're not going to be lined up. Billy's head wound is consistent with blood force trauma. And it was then that Billy's death is ruled a homicide. A CSI team from the Michigan State Police then go to the crime scene. At this point, the house has been cleaned, right? Because you don't leave when someone dies, you don't leave all that stuff out. The house right. has been clean in the months, yeah, between her death and the investigation, but nobody's living in it, right? So they go through it again. They, the investor goes into Billy's room. They find her purse with all her stuff, but there's no cash in it. And that's odd because she dealt almost exclusively in cash for her transaction. And But they go through the purse. Only Billy's prints are found on the purse. They did find animal hair in her foyer when she has no pets, no pets whatsoever. There were also two drops of blood found in the sink in the basement. So swabs were taken of the blood for DNA testing, but it doesn't match anyone in the database. And later on, they do match it to one of Billy's sons, a third son, Mike, who used the sink to clean up after the funeral. He had cut himself. So they start to look into the animal hair for clues. They did do an animal DNA analysis, but that can take up to two years, right? But they start the process. So while that's going on, in the meantime, the investigators decided to start interviewing people in Billy's life. They look into a handyman that often worked at her house. They're not able to rule him in or out. Next, they look into a nearby home that had two house guests. One of the house guests was Justin Stevens, who was 17 years old at the time. Justin was in Hubbardson as a guest from Texas. He had met a young girl and he moved into her dad's home with her. He and the other guest, Stip, his name is Stip Baxter, they were on the radar, as Billy had mentioned to a neighbor, that she had a negative interaction with a, quote, the neighbor boy, end quote. So both guests say they'd never been to Billy's house. They each mentioned they have an alibi. Sip was like, hey, I was hunting by myself. And Justin's like, hey, I was with a friend. They both agreed to a polygraph test. Stip passes. However, Justin's not feeling well, and you can't, like, cough and have a, a good exam at the same time. So, like, all right, we'll schedule you for a later time. Then they look into this local drug dealer because they saw someone in his car and they thought this might be a person who had argued with Billy shortly before her murder. They had seen someone outside that she had argued with. He doesn't know the person. They're like, this guy in your car? And he's like, it's been months. There's been a lot of people in my car. He doesn't. He's like, I don't know who you're talking about. It's a dead end. They look into another man who had just gotten out of prison after 13 years because he had robbed an 84-year-old woman with a knife. They He takes a polygraph. He passes. So the... They, they end up not being able to uh, identify the person arguing with Billy as this guy. He's let go. A year and a half after the murder, a man is convicted in another county for drugs. And this guy's into serial killers. Like, he's really into serial killing. He has, like, a list of songs that mention killing. He, uh, most importantly, he has family in Hubbardson that he was staying with during the time of the murder. He had violated his probation, so they bring him in for questioning. Turns out he had a job on the other side of the state at that time. His alibi is airtight. By now, enough time has passed that the animal hair DNA has come back. It's a sample from a dog that is matched to the house that had the two young men as house guests. The house guests had both moved out of the house shortly after the murder. Stip Baxter, the house guest that passed the polygraph, was still living in Hubbardson. He lived in a rehab house. And that's when the police realized that his hunting alone alibi maybe was a little light, right? So, right. Yeah. Yeah, so they decide to interview him. 
During his interrogation, he talks about Justin Stevens, the other guest, having an extra $100 not long after the murder. Now, Justin had moved back to Texas after the murder, and the police cannot locate him right away. The Gannett family um, that had let him stay in their home earlier had said that uh, the $100 came from his grandmother. They're like, oh, yeah, he did, but he said it came from his grandmother. So the police check his grandma's account, and she didn't take out $100. So they, they looked through her bank records. There is no $100 being withdrawn. She passed away shortly after the crime was committed, so it had to be done through, like, warrants and stuff, right? So they're, now they're looking into Justin's alibi being with a friend during the time of the murder, and they say they find out that the person he said he was visiting is currently in jail. So like, okay, cool. We know right where he is. They go visit him there, and the friend's like, I didn't see Justin that day. Nobody had asked him. And he's like, no, we weren't together. The investigator then pulls records from the Gannett house phone, and they find 14 calls were placed on the day of the murder. And they all went to Justin's sister in Texas, showing that he was home that day, right? Because he's there calling. And there is one gap in the phone calls where there's a chunk of time, and that is during the time that Billy is murdered. So they place a notice on Justin's name in Texas, letting authorities know that he is wanted for questioning if he's ever brought in. July of 2009, Justin's caught breaking and entering into a building, and he's interviewed, and they think he might have done it. Like, the first guy does an interview, they think he might have done it. But he doesn't confess or anything. So they get a second guy to interview him, and this Texas ranger spends hours interviewing Justin. And it's during that time that Justin admits to going to Billy's house. He claims that while in the house, he picked up something heavy like the Santa statue and he hit Billy with it. He confesses to killing Billy and arrest warrant was issued in Michigan for Justin Stevens. Earlier the day of the murder, Justin had knocked on her door and Billy let him in to use the phone because this is where before everybody has a cell phone, right? Mm-hmm. Justin fakes a phone call and he uses that time to scope out the house to, to figure out that she's alone. Later in the day, he went back to her house after watching her get in her car. He broke into her house. He takes $100 out of her purse without leaving prints. Billy surprises him by coming back into the room while he's going through her drawers. So Billy sits him at the kitchen table, and she's like, I'm going to call the police. Sit here at the table. And he ends up jumping up, and he hits her with the statue. And the force of that blow is what caused her to hit the mirror. He cuts her neck with the knife, like after she's down, trying to make sure she's dead. And Justin confessed both to the police and to his sister. Justin was convicted by a jury in July of 2011. After a few hours of deliberations, he was sentenced to life in prison without the possibility of parole. Justin used his automatic right to appeal and said that the police had um, improperly used his confession during trial. The Court of Appeals denies his request, however. They bring up that the state court, uh, Supreme Court had said mandatory life sentences for people who commit crimes as minor is not constitutional. Justin's case, so because it's not right, we, we say you can't automatically send someone who was a minor when they committed the crime to life in jail. So uh, he's now an adult. So his case goes to circuit court where Judge David Hort um, reviews Justin's case. The judge looks into it and says, well, um, you know, he tries to see, does he have possible influences that it might have caused him to do this? Is there a potential for rehabilitation? He takes all this into account. And he decides to um, sentence Justice Stevens, Justin Stevens, to life in prison without the possibility of parole. So he got sentenced twice. Justin is also set to serve eight to 15 years for a second degree home invasion charge that stems from the murder case. So I was worried. I was worried when the court, when he had to go back to trial as an adult, that they were going to let him go. 
Well, I get the whole, so you have a, you're a kid and the whole, maybe we shouldn't be sending them life in prison. I disagree though, when you have a kid that did something and then never admits to it and owns up to it and lives their life for many years. Oh yeah. Free. You know, free. And you know, then they're found, you know, found to have done it. Yeah. So I say, yeah, life in prison, you sh- you know, should have owned up to it. Oh yeah. I was worried at that. Yeah. I was worried they'd look at it and be like, oh, you know, I think that he could be rehabilitated and let him out. I'm like, I don't think so. It's not like he did good with his life in the five years in between killing her and being caught. You know what I mean? He was caught breaking into houses again. <laughs> so Right. Yeah. Well, well, yeah. good for them for not, you know, her kids noticing that stuff. Yeah. And not honestly, giving up. Yeah. If they wouldn't have, that guy would have gotten away with murder, literally. But it was because of her, her kids persisted. And like, yeah, because her house was so clean and just seeing that stuff knocked over told them something was wrong. You know what I mean? Right. That's not going to happen at my house, but still. So let me, do you tell me about that nasty rodent family? Or no, not the, they motor. No, the, the Wagner. I almost called them the Watsons this time. Jesus Christ. <laughs> I always want to call them by the wrong name. <laughs> the right. Wagners, the murdering Wagners. Yeah. So the Wagner family, just for those who don't know, though we have a couple episodes on this. The Wagner family killed the Roden family members across multiple houses, allegedly because of a child custody issue. Yeah. The brother George Wagner's trial is beginning. It already has began for me. Because they are in the process of jury selection. Okay. And they said it was going to take about a week, but it seems to have taken longer than that. They brought in a thousand jurors. And of course, they need to select 12 of those plus your alternates. Yeah. Those selected had to also be death qualified. Because so you have to believe in the death penalty? Right. You have to under you have to you can be excluded if under no circumstances would you consider the death penalty or penalty okay. of life without parole. Okay. You have to and I'm still looking into this further to figure out like exactly how do they figure that out? Because just because you're, let's say you're religious, you don't believe in the death penalty. That does not exclude you. So I'm not exactly sure what specifically. Yeah, I have to look into it more, but I did find out that just because you're Christian and you don't, you know, maybe you don't believe in the death penalty. You, you're not excluded. So it's got, it has to be something more deep than that. 
Can okay. there be more deep than religion? I don't know. So I got to look into it more, but it is not only would you never consider the death penalty, but you're saying that you could never consider life without parole either. Okay. I see what so you're saying. It's interesting. Okay. Um, there were motions pre-trial, one from the defense asking for aggravated murder charges to be taken off of George because he didn't pull the trigger in any of the murders. And his brother stated this, that he didn't shoot anybody. Okay, wait, and this George is the son, not the dad. This correct. Yep, okay. they're both, yep, they're both named George, but we're going to call the dad George, but I'll notate that it's, you know, I'll say that it's Billy. He's known okay. as Billy. Okay. And but this is the son's trial. Okay. They haven't scheduled the father's trial. I think it's a few months from now. Okay. So, a reminder on a previous update, Jake that's the one who had a child with one of the Roden family members that were murdered. Okay. Pled guilty and admitted to killing five of the eight Roden family members and will serve a life sentence without parole. He pled guilty because he didn't want to have the de death penalty. He didn't want to die. Uh, okay. So, and then Angela, the mother who I found out during this whole period of the murders stayed at home with the kids. So people's kids, I guess her okay. kids, kids, her grandkids. I don't know. Just said that she stayed home with kids. She also pled guilty. She'll serve 30 years in prison. Both Jake and Angela have to testify against their Billy, the dad, and George, the brother. Oh, wow. Okay, yeah. Well, that was part of their condition, right? Right. And this is going to be interesting because they all say, you know, they have to they have to testify against them. Okay, but in George's case, the brother, this trial that we're going into right now, yeah. Jake is really, his testimony is helping George in the way of George He's going to say George didn't shoot anybody, uh, you know, and things like that. So I'm not sure, like when they say testify against, I don't look at it as you're trying to you're, say did shoot everybody because the whole family died in different homes. People got shot. Right. But they're saying, yeah, but he's going to say George didn't shoot anyone. He didn't have a gun. He was there along for the ride. Yeah, who's he going to say did shoot, though? He admitted to five of them. Oh. So the dad had to do the other three. If he's saying the brother did none. Eh, I right. I what you're saying. Okay, okay, okay. Right. So everybody, you and the news articles and the, you know, the videos I've watched, everybody's like, oh, they got to testify against them. Well, I think you're more helping George and the dad you're testifying against negatively against your dad okay or your husband whichever so but anyways that just to keep that in mind these two are going to be testifying 
they've already, if they testify like they're supposed to, neither of them get the death sentence, you know, death sentence. One, the mom gets 30 years because she was at home. And then Jake gets five life sentences. It's five. It's actually five life sentences without parole. Wow. Okay. So opening statements are scheduled for August 29th. This is going to be my life. This is going to be like the Johnny Depp trial. It's 24 seven. I'm going to get up and watch this stuff. I am. I'm on it. Okay. Okay. And I'm though. I just want to say, I have no idea if it's being broadcast, but it damn well better be. I mean, this is the biggest case Ohio's ever had. Like, oh, really? this could be televised. Yep. So, opening statements are starting August 29th. Um, because it's a death penalty case, the, you know, this is a two-part trial. First, they go through the first trial and to prove guilt. Okay. Second is the trial portion where the two sides argue why or why not to find for the death penalty. Okay. And then the jury deliberates. Ah. So some people don't get that, but you see that right now. I think it's in Florida. People are that school shooter. Why are they still on trial? Why are all these people testifying that were there? It's because in a death penalty trial, when the death penalty is on the table, you got to prove somebody's guilt. Then you got to have a trial to present to the jury why, you know, or why not, depending on who you are, you know, which side you're on, you, you are doing a whole nother case to try. The prosecutor is going to try to convince the jury that here's all the evidence and these statements from these people and all this stuff. And this is why you should put him to death. And then the defense gets their chance to go, you know, you don't put him to death for whatever. I don't even know what you would say. No shit, yeah. So that's that. So so this will be, I mean, I'm going to assume this is going to be like two months of my life. Yeah, no shit. Oh, some facts in Pike County. There are about 28,000 people based on a WLWT news article. Okay. So a thousand of those people are, were called for jury duty selection okay. being this is the largest homicide investigation in ohio's history wow and it's safe to say finding someone who hasn't heard read or watched anything on this case for the past six years i think it's been right six years yeah yeah um is slim to none so everybody's and it's a small this is a small community so so far from my understanding in like the news articles people like went to school with the Roden family went to school with the Wagners worked with them was their insurance agent this is 28,000 people you know a small community in reality, uh, that you know, it's a it's a small 
everybody knows everybody. You didn't try to have the the trial there, even though that's going down. Yeah, they're having the trial there. Oof, maybe they should move it. No, these people, I mean, come on, these people did this. I know, right? (laughs) No matter what happens, yeah. So the jury selection, from what I understand, didn't start off promising since the first set of jurors all had a connection with one of the two families. Uh. And at the end of the week, the Fox 19 News reported jury selection was at a pool of 50 eligible jurors. So they had found 50. Okay. And they wanted 50 to 60. So that they could choose their 12 and their four alternates. Okay. So we're 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 getting close. Okay. So just to remind everybody, because it's a lot, George was charged with twenty-two charges. Okay. So he's got eight counts of aggravated murder. He's got comp- conspiracy to commit aggravated murder, four counts of aggravated burglary, three counts of tampering with evidence. One count of forgery, unauthorized use of property, interception of wire or or electronic communication, obstructing justice, and finally, engaging in a pattern of corrupt activity. Ooh, it's one of those where they just hit him with everything. Right. Yeah. And so George's trial known as the father, Billy, that trial is going to start after this one. Okay. So it's on. It's next week. You're like, this is it? This is it. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I mean, we've been waiting for this. For God's sakes. It's crazy. Yeah, this is it. Well, it's been years when you first told me. Right. And I think it's, I get this, if it's true, which Jake said that George, his brother, didn't shoot anyone, knew, went with it, and all that jazz. So he's still guilty. So, but I get how he would want to go to trial. Because one, you you didn't do some of these charges in reality. You, you shouldn't be charged with if you didn't shoot the gun. Okay. You know? Well, no, we no. It is against the law. Like if you know someone is to kill someone else and you don't do anything to stop them, you are responsible. Right, but I don't think that falls under all of these. I don't think that falls under aggravated murder. Okay. Conspiracy to commit aggravated murder. But you know what I mean? I don't think all. Oh, no, there was a girl in Ohio that her boyfriend used her phone to set somebody up to get robbed. And he shot that man and killed him. And she got charged with murder because it was her phone. And she knew what he was going to go do. Oh, yeah. Hmm. I know, right? Well, then, yeah, you squash the thing. I'm thinking, okay. You don't get as many murder convictions, you know, because uh, 
you would get the conspiracy to do these things, the aggravated burglary, the tampering with evidence, you wouldn't get the actual murder charge in my mind. So I could understand why he would be wanting to go to trial because he's going to go to a life sentence versus he was there. He knew about it. Just like the mom, she is 30 years. She didn't get the murder charge. She didn't shoot anyone. So that's why I thought, Oh, well the brother going to trial makes sense to me. Yeah, because no, he's going to get conspiracy to commit and yeah. things like that, but not the physical murder charge that's going to put you possibly to death. You, uh, yeah. you know, see, I actually was going to do an article on that girl who let her boyfriend use her phone and got she got put away to jail. And I, I was going to do an article on it, but it was just too upsetting. I just felt like that wasn't enough connection. You know what I mean? Right. Yeah. And so, and then, and then I could, and who I didn't understand was going to trial was the dad. Dude, the kid admitted, Jake admitted he killed five of the eight people. Yeah. He says, you know, George didn't do anything. He didn't murder anyone. I don't want to say he didn't do anything, but he didn't physically murder someone. Yeah. So that means, dude, you killed three people. Yeah, because the mom didn't do it. George didn't do it. Who in the hell else did it? You did it. And so now you're going and you have the death penalty. Maybe he wants to die. Maybe he wants to die. Yeah. Yeah. Maybe he'll take he'll take one for the team. Yeah. So I just didn't you know what what are you going to say? You obviously it was you. Because there's who who else? Or why would Jake admit to five and not eight? He's going to jail for life, for God's sakes. So if he didn't do it, and, and how, you know, if he didn't kill all eight, yeah, I just don't think he would lie at that point. You're going to jail for life. Five True. life sentences. It's over for you. So you're going to, he was obviously honest enough to say he killed five. There's three left. Why in the hell is this dad going to trial? I don't know. I don't know what he's willing to lie. Once he realized that if he got a deal, he'll he's like, well, shit, if I get a deal, I admit that I killed five of them. Take some of the heat off everybody else. Say my brother didn't do it. You know, there's I'm already like off the hook. You know what I mean? Yeah, I think if you were going to go to that, I don't trust those guys. I don't trust them. I don't trust them to tell the truth. I don't. Right. And I would be if. Yeah, and I would think if somebody was going to lie about it, you're just going to take it all. I killed all eight. The dad right. and brother were there for the ride. Yeah, or maybe they could say, or maybe they could prove that like there was two shooters or something. You know what I mean? Like, oh, there's two caliber weapons. Usually, people don't double, you know, double barrel shoot someone or whatever. Well, and I would assume they would know because at some point, maybe you know, this is a multiple houses here. So you got one, you know, time of death, same as this other family member over here. Okay. And that's yeah. how you know there's two, definitely two murderers. I don't know, but I'm going to be interested in, like, what comes out in the trial. Like, what do you have to say? Yeah, I'm just hoping under- that someone uses the Freedom of Information Act to eventually, like, get that information out so that you can find out what they did you know what i mean 
Well, I'm hoping that all this is televised so that I can spend my days watching Watching this. And then every week, just coming to you guys with this is what I'm going to (laughs) have. Right. All right. This, we'll see. We'll this see. is I it. Wish you luck. I wish you luck. I'll be on. We, I'll be riding the Discovery Channel tip. <laughs> yeah, and this is. So we're gonna be the Discovery Channel and the Pike County murders for like at least four weeks. Sweet. Let's do it. All right. Until the next time. All right. I'll talk to you later. All right. Bye. Bye. bye.